sermon number 641, The Descent of the Dove. This is the fifth in my series. It's entitled Jonathan Livingston Seagull and the Holy Spirit Dove. Preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on Sunday, April 8, 1973, and the text is Romans, the 8th chapter, 14th verse. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Hear the word of God as it is found in this year's and every year's world's bestseller, the Holy Bible. The book of Romans, the first verse, the eighth chapter. There is no condemnation now for those who live in union with Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit, which brings us life in union with Christ Jesus, has set us free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do, because human nature was weak, God did. He condemned sin in human nature by sending his own Son, who came with a nature like man's sinful nature, to do away with sin. God did this so that the righteous demands of the law might be fully satisfied in us who live according to the Spirit, not according to the human nature. For those who live as their human nature tells them to live have the minds controlled by what human nature wants. Those who live as the Spirit tells them to live have their minds controlled by what the Spirit wants. To have your mind controlled by what human nature wants will result in death. To have your mind controlled by what the Spirit wants will result in life and peace. And so a man becomes an enemy of God when his mind is controlled by what human nature wants. For he does not obey God's law, and in fact he cannot obey it. Those who obey their human nature, they cannot please God. But you do not live as your human nature tells you to do. You live as the Spirit tells you to do. If, in fact, God's Spirit lives in you. Whoever does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ's Spirit lives in you, Although your body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is life for you because you have been put right with God. If the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from death, lives in you, then he who raised Christ from death will also give life to your mortal bodies by the presence of his Spirit in you. So then, my brothers, we have an obligation but not to live as our human nature wants us to do. For if you live according to your human nature, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you kill your sinful actions, you will live. Those who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For the Spirit that God has given you does not make you a slave, and cause you to be afraid. Instead, the Spirit makes you God's sons, and by the Spirit's power 
we cry to God, Father, my Father. And God's Spirit joins himself to our spirits to declare that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we will possess the blessings he keeps for his people. And we will also possess with Christ what God has kept for him. For if we share Christ's sufferings, we will also, also share his glory. <coughs> In 1959, on a summer evening, Richard Bach, an author, former Air Force captain and barnstorming pilot, was walking along the seashore not too far from Belmont, California. And as the sun was setting, he was gazing at the gulls, and he was listening to the sounds of the sea. And he claims that within a moment, he caught from those sights and from those sounds an inspiration, a message, a philosophy, and the distinctive, distinguished name of Jonathan Livingston Seagull. Collaborating with a photographer and artist friend by the name of Russell Munson, for the next few years these two men worked together. And 11 years later, in 1970, they published a little book which told the story and showed the pictures. A little book, less than a hundred pages. A little book which has sold millions and millions of copies. A little book which even yesterday's newspaper tells us has been monopolizing one of the top spots for the last 50 consecutive weeks on the New York Times best-selling list. I know many of you have read the book, and like all books that talk about philosophy and life and experience, Anyone who reads that book brings to it his own imagination, his own experience, his own intelligence, and he can very easily end up with his own interpretation. And the preacher is no different. And reading and rereading and rereading and rereading that book of course, from a position that has been trained in Bible and in theology, I am convinced today more than ever that what that little popular book, the writings of Richard Bach, is trying to tell us in the person of Jonathan Livingston Seagull in the years of 1970s, 
God has been trying to tell us through his bestseller, the Bible, through the person of the Holy Spirit dove, and he's been trying to do it for centuries. Many of the things that Jonathan teaches us, the Holy Spirit has been trying to tell us for a long time. Now, for those of you who have not read the book, and I hope all of you will, and you can buy it now in paperback in any drugstore or newsstand, this is the story about a seagull who loves to fly. And unlike other seagulls who felt that the main business of living was to find food and try to just get through another day, the other seagulls who flew only when it was necessary to find food and to seek survival. Jonathan Livingston Seagull was a gull who loved to fly. And to him, flying was life. And this was not too popular with his peers and with his parents. And they kept saying, John, John, why can't you be satisfied to be like other gulls? And oh, he tried. That poor old precious fellow, he tried so hard just to put the day in by eating and sleeping and moving as little as possible. But it just didn't work. For the more he tried to become like a gall, the more there was within him this insatiable desire which could not be fed, this desire to fly, to fly faster and farther and higher than he ever had before. And the story continues to tell us about how he tried to find new horizons out there and how he practiced practice for perfection and yet he found that such practice usually brought him only one thing pain it tells us how he tried how he tried new things and usually these new things only brought him troubles it tells us how he experimented with new thoughts and how these thoughts only seemed to make him more tired. The few victories that he did win brought to him rewards only in the form of rebuke. But he kept on trying. He kept on trying and eventually one day he had a breakthrough. He had a breakthrough that thrilled him he suddenly began to realize that not only himself, but all Gauls could become creatures of excellence and creatures of intelligence and creatures of skill. And he was so excited and he hoped that everyone had seen this breakthrough, but this breakthrough brought to him only heartbreak. Because all the Gauls called a gathering of the council. And of course, Jonathan thought that they were going to recognize him for his breakthrough and give him the center of honor. But instead, the chief Gaul called him to the center and gave to him the distinction of having the center of shame. 
Jonathan Livingston Seagull, you are ostracized from the Gull community because of recklessness, irresponsibility, and violation of the dignity and the tradition of the Gull family. And he was banished to the far cliffs. And he flew away that night from the flock of gulls here on earth. And he flew and he flew to and beyond the far cliffs, heartbroken. Heartbroken because he had to enjoy that which he thought he had won for all of Galdom. Heartbroken because he was ostracized from the flock. Heartbroken because he had learned a very serious lesson in life that the reason gulls live short, uneventful, and unexcited lives are because they worship the enemies of flying. Those enemies being boredom, fear, and anger. He flew beyond the far cliffs till he thought he could fly no farther. When suddenly he found on either wingtip other gulls whose feathers were brighter and whose bodies must have been stronger. And immediately it was obvious to him that those gulls beyond the far cliff knew already what he had just learned. Because the faster he flew, they flew faster. No matter how far he flew, they, they flew farther. No matter how high he flew, they flew higher. And he realized that they had something which he had just learned. And when he thought that he could go not another inch further in flight, they asked him if he would be willing to go home with them. And he said he would. And they took him to a new home, beyond the far cliffs, a home which he thought immediately was heaven. And there he flew faster than he had ever flown before, further than he had ever flown before, higher than he had ever flown before. But something was wrong. Something was wrong because he still felt limits. And heaven is perfection, and where there is perfection, there are never any limits. He still felt trapped, because no matter how fast, far, or high he went, he knew he could go faster, higher, and farther. And at last he said to the elder Gaul, this isn't heaven at all, is it? You learn quickly, Jonathan, said the elder Gaul. That in his search for heaven, he, he had to find out from the elder Gaul, just as all birds in flight must sometimes find, that heaven is not a specific place. Heaven is not a specific time. Heaven is when you have that feeling you are no longer trapped, you are no more limited. He had to learn up learn from the elder Gaul that heaven can be any time at any place 
And it comes when you are willing to recognize, realize, and rely upon the true nature that is within you. And when you are willing to accept that true nature, that spirit that is in life in you, then there are no more limits, no more traps. There is only perfection, and perfection is heaven. He learned that lesson, and when he concentrated, concentrated, with his eyes shut and his whole spirit at work, concentrating on the true nature of his being, he was able to go anywhere. Any time he was in heaven. And when you get to that stage, then you begin to realize that the only thing that you have to work on and learn to control and practice is love. Love and kindness. And he, he began to work on those two things. And the more he worked on kindness, the more he understood about love. And the more that he understood about love, the more he began to think about those galls back on earth. And he thought, surely there must be some other person, other gall that had been considered an outcast. If only he could tell that one who was an outcast what he had already learned. And he wanted to go back to earth. He realized that the greatest demonstration of love is in sharing what you have learned about truth with another gull who is only asking for the opportunity to find the truth himself. And sure enough, he found another gull. I think his name was Fletcher, wasn't it? Fletcher had just been ostracized, had just come from the place that Jonathan once had been, and he too had been thrown out. And he began to work with Fletcher. He tried to tell him how he himself had once been taught how to fly, with the hope that when you learn how to fly, you can learn why you fly. And that's heaven. And he worked with Fletcher, and he, he worked with another one who came from the outcast, from the other side, of the, as an outcast, from the other side of the cliff. And eventually, there were seven students, the great Hebraic symbolic number, by the way, there were seven students with running instructor, Jonathan Livingston Seagull. And he was trying to train them all how to fly, with the hope that eventually, when they learned how to fly, they would learn why they flew. And Jonathan wanted to go back to Earth. And he decided that he would go back to Earth, and he thought it would be a great way to teach his students by allowing them to become teachers back on earth. So all eight of them came back to the flock. And you can imagine what happened. The earth flock ignored them, ridiculed them, would have nothing to do with them but practicing, practicing patience, 
and kindness and love Jonathan Livingston Seagull and the rest of the gulls flew around showing other gulls how to fly and then there was near tragedy there was an accident and Fletcher Gull in hitting a great stone cliff he should have been dead but it was then that he realized the lesson that Jonathan had learned up in heaven that heaven is not a place nor is it a specific time it was whenever you allow your thought to concentrate on who you are and when you realize recognize and rely upon that particular spirit that is in life within you time distance and yes even death cannot keep you from flying which is the real reason for living and when the book closes these individuals who had come to earth to help other gulls and to teach them how to fly and in the process like Fletcher in teaching how to fly they themselves learn why they fly we find Fletcher himself taking on a new army of students beginning the process all over again and trying to help some stung stupid birds how to fly knowing that just like himself and just like his teacher Jonathan they eventually in learning how to fly would come to the deeper realization of why they fly and as I say that's a delightful little book and I honestly believe it is trying to tell us what the Holy Spirit dove has been trying to tell us for a long time but you know Jonathan Livingston Seagull is fictional it's just a story but the Holy Spirit dove is not fictional he is fact he is history and just as Richard Bach has dedicated this wonderful little book to the real Jonathan Livingston Seagull that is alive in each one of us. God has given to us in his book, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, which is the real spirit that is to be alive in each one of us. So what Jonathan Livingston Seagull can teach us in fiction, the Holy Spirit can teach us in fact. And that's the whole thing that we have been trying to say here for the last six weeks. Namely, that the Spirit of God is alive in the world and in every one of you. And that this Holy Spirit, as Jonathan has told us about, the spirit of flying. The hardest thing in the world to do is try to convince some bird of the true nature that is in him 
and to get him to the place where he can prove it to himself and he can if only he will practice it. This is how the Holy Spirit lives and moves and has his being in you and me is when we practice that spirit of holiness that God has placed in you and in me. And ladies and gentlemen, you see, when suddenly, it might be today, you have some realization and some understanding that life is to be something more than just grubbing after food, and that life is something more than just trying to find security, that there should be something more in your life than boredom and fear and anger when you feel that there are some new horizons out there, that is the Holy Spirit in you. Yes, I'll grant you that in trying to find the excellence and the intelligence and the skill in those horizons, you're going to have to practice, and sometimes that practice is going to bring you only one thing, pain. Sometimes you're going to have to try new things, and it's going to bring to you only one thing, trouble. Sometimes you're going to have to think new thoughts and sometimes that can be very tiresome. Sometimes you may even be ostracized and thrown out of your particular flock because you've broken the rules of orthodoxy and the tradition of your particular flock. But that is all the work of the Holy Spirit and sometimes in your lonesomeness, when you think that you have found something that should be for all mankind, you'll find that you are alone, and you are flying out and beyond, and you will go eventually find that you will be in the fellowship of some others who have learned before that which you have just recently learned. And maybe today, or tomorrow, and maybe some of you learned it in yesteryear, the real meaning of heaven which is not in seeing how fast and how far or how high you could go either on drugs or with some other particular type of spirit. It is not some place to which you hope you can go or some time way out there. But heaven is when you are willing to accept that spirit that is in you, that spirit of God that is in you when you recognize it when you realize it and when you rely on it then you begin to fly and you begin to live and you realize that the only thing in life you have to do is to practice love and kindness and that is the Holy Spirit and in practicing it and coming back to your flock of friends, they'll ridicule, yes, they'll make fun, but eventually, by the power of that same Spirit, you will find other people seeing in you that you have learned why you fly. They will be asking you how to fly. Do you see, ladies and gentlemen, we are sons of God not when we talk about the Holy Spirit, not even when we pray for the Holy Spirit.
Not just when we know there is a Holy Spirit, but when we are willing to be led by the Holy Spirit, then we are the sons of God. And don't you ever forget. <coughs> Practice remembering that. Amen. Father, we thank you for Jonathan, for all that he is teaching us today. But we're even more grateful for Jesus and for the power of the Holy Spirit dove that has, is, and will continue to teach us way beyond the far cliffs of tomorrow. Father, I thank you for the power of the presence of your Spirit, which I have felt, which we have felt in this church. O Lord, give to preacher and people, all of us, that courage to live and follow that Spirit that is alive in us. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the communion, the power, and the courage of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.